you got a Bible this morning, Romans chapter 14 is where we're going to spend some time uh, the next few minutes. Romans chapter 14. I, I thought about breaking away and doing a Mother's Day specific message, but I felt like we got a good bit of momentum in Romans 14. We need to keep going. So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about living out our liberty in Christ this morning. Last week, we, we talked about liberty and legalism. And, and we tried to define the difference between the two, that, that God has certainly given us uh, all different levels of maturity. We're all at a different place in our walk with Christ. And what that means is that, that some of us may be a little stronger in our faith, and some of us may be still growing in our faith. And diversity is not a bad thing in the body of Christ. I, I know everybody needs to be like you, but it's, it's a good thing they're not. No offense. And, and it's a good thing that they're all not like me. I knew it, man. I knew, I knew Jamie had me right there, man. As the, uh, my wife has just came in. She probably didn't hear it. She would have probably had the loudest. She, she's waving her hands and I think pew dancing back there. Okay. Uh, yeah, thank God we're not all the same, right? We, we have diversity in the body of Christ. And here's why that's important. Because we're all at different levels of maturity, we need to appreciate each other instead of despising each other. We need to learn that, listen, some people that are strong in faith, man, they do what they do because they have faith in Christ. And if I'm immature in the Lord, I may have a tendency to judge them because I just haven't matured enough. And, and if I'm strong in the faith, and I understand that as it relates to our context, there's no unclean thing in and of itself in this world. There's nothing that you can put in your mouth or drink that's, that's going to make you more or less spiritual per se. If you have enough faith to believe that, People that don't believe that, you're going to tend to look down on them. You're going to tend to despise them. And so last week, we tried to set the boundaries of, of liberty and legalism, and, and we, we, we said it's okay to have personal liberty in Christ. We established that principle last week. So this morning, what we're going to do is take that a step further, and we're going to see how do we live that out in a community of believers? How do we live that out in faith within the context of our local assembly? How does that truth that we learned from last week play out in our body of believers? And so this morning, the message is entitled, Living Out Liberty in the Body of Christ. Look at Romans 14, verses 10 to 17. Let me read it, let me pray, and then we'll get going. Verse 10 says this, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We, we do thank you for the morning. Again, we thank you for, for every lady that's here today, God. Uh, Lord, thank you for the families represented. Thank you for not only the physical families, but the spiritual families, the, the, the legacy of faith that you're leaving uh, through the, the, the ministry of these ladies in this church and other churches. God, thank you so much for their investment. And I pray that they're honored today, and I pray that they uh, just enjoy the day uh, as we try to make them feel special. 
And more importantly, God, we want to come to your word uh, with an open heart today. God, we, we want to stand in need of your word uh, to teach us about this issue of liberty specifically. God, help us to, to learn some things to help us live out our faith in our community of believers so that we have right relationship with each other. We'll give you the glory for that. We love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you don't remember the context of Romans 14, Paul is dealing with some people that probably came out of a paganistic background. In other words, just like God had a system of sacrifices and offerings that people would bring to offer and worship to God, well, because the devil is the greatest counterfeiter, there were people in pagan religions that also brought animal sacrifices to pagan temples. And, and the issue that Paul is dealing with in Romans 14, and, and as we'll see in a second in 1 Corinthians 8, is that some people were eating of the meat offered to idols, and, and they had a clear conscience because they were strong in the faith. They said, listen, there's only one God, and so this, this pagan temple, man, it's got some good meat going to waste. And so I'm going to buy the steak, I'm going to buy the ribeye from that place, I'm going to cook it, I'm going to eat it, and it's no big deal. And yet there were other people that had gotten saved that may have even came out of that pagan tradition. And when they saw a Christian going eating that meat offered to idols, they were wounded in their conscience because they were weak in their faith, and it actually caused them to judge their brother. How could you eat that? That's offered to an idol, right? And so the issue is weak faith and strong faith, and the real issue is the fact that there were, that at least in the context, they're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and that's the point of today's message. We want to learn to live on our liberty in the context of the body of Christ. And so here's the first principle we need to get down this morning as, as it relates to the text that we're now in. First and foremost, we need to learn to live out our liberty in light of the judgment seat of Christ. We need to learn to live out our liberty in light of the judgment seat of Christ. And I go back to verse 10. It says, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? And there are the two spectrums that we talked about last week, right? The weak in the faith generally is the one that judges his brother. But the one that's strong in his, in his faith sets his brother at naught. And that, and that phrase, to set at naught, means to, mean, to, to lessen the value of. In other words, it's not uncommon for strong believers in the faith to think much less of their weaker brethren. You just haven't arrived yet. You just don't understand the scriptures like I understand the scriptures. You just don't have enough faith yet. And so I, I, I lower the value on my brother when his faith is not at my level, okay? And Paul says, why are you doing that? Why are you that are weak in faith judging your brother? And why are you that are strong in faith setting at naught or devaluing your brother? And he sets the bar where it needs to be. He says, for we all, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, I, I, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to who? To God. Okay. And so Paul is dealing with both people and, and the way that he diffuses the situation is he says, you know what? Listen, we all need to understand as believers in Christ, we're going to stand and give account to God at the judgment seat of Christ. That, that's what he said. And, and what he does is he quotes Isaiah 45, verses 22 to 23. It's on the screen. Let me read it to you. Paul reaches back into the book of Isaiah, and he pulls this passage. It says, Look unto me, and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself the word is gone out 
of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. And so what Paul does is he kind of sets the bar where it needs to be set. He sets it at the fact that we are all accountable to God. And the exercising of our liberty, we'll give an account of that to God Almighty. We'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give account. Now, uh, let me just take a second and take that Isaiah 45 passage because there are two applications that we'll gain from that passage. Because the truth is, uh, we're going to stand and give an account. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to swear. But that's going to work out for the saved people. But that's also going to work out for lost people as well. So let me give you the, the dual application. We get it out of 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul writes and he says, I charge you therefore before God and, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And so there is a judgment. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. There's actually seven judgments in the Bible. But we're going to talk about this judgment for believers and, and and Timothy tells us, Paul writes to Timothy, and the book of Timothy tells us that, that one of those judgments is going to come at Christ appearing. And that's, his, that's the rapture of the church. Christ appearing is the rapture of the church. And, and if you were to take the time, I did the work for you. You're welcome. Look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. When you, when you read about the appearing of Christ, it has to do with his saints it has to do with the, the rapture of the church and the fact that we're going to see him face to face. Titus 2 and verse 13. We are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we as believers in Christ are looking for. Are we? Are we looking for that? Listen, that's what God has called the blessed hope. Listen, the, the day that we see Christ, man... It's over. We win. No more battle with sin. No more battle with this flesh. No more battle with this world. No more battle with the adversary, the devil. When we see him, man, that's the, that's the finish line. That's the finish line. And we ought to be looking for that. Man, it's going to be a glorious appearing. When, 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 when Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And what he's talking about is the judgment seat of Christ. When we see Christ, that's when we will give an account, and that's where we as believers in Christ shall receive reward. And, and, and so Paul is just making the point, we need to keep the judgment seat of Christ in, in full view, because that's where we're headed. You see, the, the, the judgment seat of Christ is not in your rearview mirror as a Christian. The judgment for your sin is in the rearview mirror. The cross of Calvary. And we don't forget that, but listen, as a believer in Christ, God has dealt with our sin on the cross of Calvary. We've moved forward from that. We need to be looking ahead to the judgment seat of Christ where we give an account. And so, and, and so listen, the, the, here's what we, we need to get. And, and that's going to happen at the rapture of the church. Uh, there is another judgment called the, the great white throne judgment. And, and when, P, when Timothy talks about Christ appearing... He also talks about Christ's kingdom. And at the end of Christ's kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ, and I know this morning you're like, Mother's Day, man, ease up, bro. Uh, you know, listen, uh, yeah, but it's Bible and it's good and we need it, right? Uh, at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, listen, it ends in another judgment. That's the great white throne judgment. That's for lost people. That's for the unsaved. And, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen at both. At both, 
the judgment seat of Christ, and, and at the great right throne judgment, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to fess, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, even the unsaved. Because there is no other God but the one true God. And when they see him in his glory before their final judgment, they will bow their knee and confess with their mouth that Christ is Lord. And then he'll say, depart into the lake of fire forever at the great white throne judgment. The, the judgment of the lost will, will, will begin with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing, just like the rapture of the church. But let's talk about the judgment seat of Christ this morning because that's where we are headed as believers in Christ. Here's the key in your notes. The judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for all believers in Christ. And so all means all. And you're part of the believers of Christ. If you're born again, you're, you're saved. And so listen, this judgment is for you as a believer. You are going to give an account of yourself to God Almighty. Here's the second key in your notes. The judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment for sin, but it is a judgment of stewardship. Because remember, Christ judged our sin on the cross of Calvary. He, he, he gained victory over it through his death, burial, and resurrection. So our judgment for sin, when we come to Christ, it was dealt with on the cross. But the moment we get saved, God makes us accountable. Because we have a whole life ahead of us to live out for his glory's sake. And so, and so we're going to give account, an account of our stewardship of this salvation, of this life that Christ has given us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. It's on the screen. Paul writes and he says, Wherefore we are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor. And Paul just says, listen, because I know I'm going to see Christ, I'm going to labor in this life. But I'm going to labor toward that judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to labor because I know I'm going to have to give an account of this life to Christ himself. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Listen, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he, that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We had better live with full view of the judgment seat of Christ in the front glass of our life, man. We're headed that way, and we're going to give an account to Christ of everything that we've done in this body since we've been saved forward. We're called to give an account. That ought to make us labor in such a way that we honor God when we see him. And, and by the way, it says that everyone will give an account. No one's exempt. You say, well, I, my sin's dealt with. This is not a judgment of your sin. This is, not, this is not Calvary. This is an accounting of your stewardship of the life and the salvation and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the ministry that God has given you as a believer in Christ. That's what it is. And so here's the next point. Get this in your notes. Well, this will make it real tense in the room right here. The judgment seat of Christ is an individual judgment but let me just tell you, there's going to be pastoral input. There's going to be pastoral input. You say, how do you get that? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, 
and submit yourselves. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those that teach you the word of God. He's talking about pastoral leadership. That's what he's talking about. He says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves because nobody can force you to submit. We've learned that at this church, man. Submission is something you offer because nobody can make you submit. So you, you submit yourself to spiritual leadership because they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. Do you know at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to give an account of myself individually? But do you know I'm going to give an account of this church? And you, as a part of this church, you know I'm going to give an account for you? Now, you're going to give an account individually. Make no mistake. But I'm going to give an account for you as it relates to you being here. The Bible says that they watch for your own souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for who? For you. And, and, and I'm just telling you, man, that's going to be a hard day for some of us. Because after our individual accounting with the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Lord's going to look to the shepherd of this church and say, what's your thoughts on this? And this shepherd right here is going to have to tell the truth. Tell the truth, man. You can't lie at the judgment seat of Christ. Lord, let me just tell you. Here's everything that I preached. Here's everything that I prayed. Here's everything that I did. And God says that day is going to be unprofitable for some people who choose not to submit themselves to pastoral authority. You better be careful, Christian. I'm not trying to sour Mother's Day, but I'm telling you, that day's coming. And we're going to give an account, and our pastors are going to give an account for us. And listen, when we, when we stand and give that account, we're going to give an account of all of our life from the day we got saved forward, including how we lived out our liberty. And whether that helped people or whether that hurt people in the body of Christ, because that's really what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about liberty and how to live out our liberty. liberty. So, so Paul says... Okay, listen, stop judging, stop despising. You better remember the judgment seat of Christ, where it's all going to shake out. You understand? That, that, that's the, the point that Paul's trying to make. And then, and then secondly, if we can get back to the text so that, you know, you can eat your lunch in just a few minutes. Look at, look at point number two. We need to learn to live out our liberty with consideration for our brother. We need to learn to live out our liberty with consideration for our brother. You say, man, i got liberty to do whatever I'm convinced of from the Word of God. I've got a clear conscience. That's all true, but you have to add to the equation your brother in Christ. You have to. And I didn't say it, man. God said it. And so if God said it, it's true. Look at verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore... But judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So, so God is really interested in the fact that you have a brother in Christ. And that brother in Christ ought to influence and impact how you live out your liberty. Because you do have individual liberty. But you can't separate yourself from a body of believers. You can't. That's not biblical Christianity. And so number one, this key in your notes is this. Listen, because we understand the judgment seat of Christ, it should cause us to cease from judging each other's liberty. Can, can we get that one down? 
Can we understand that because we're going to stand and give an account at the judgment seat of Christ, you don't have to judge me and I don't have to judge you. You know why? Because Christ is going to sort it all out. He's going to sort it all out. And trust me, he will sort it all out. So let's live in a way when we give an account that it's sorted out to our advantage. Paul says, listen, no more. Because we understand the judgment seat of Christ, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. And if we didn't leave that at the altar last week, we should probably leave it at the altar this week. Let's just stop it. Because we're going to give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. You don't need to judge it before the time. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, it's not on the screen. But Paul says, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. We're talking about those gray areas in life. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about clear... Listen, if you're in open rebellion sin, and the Bible has called that sin, you can be on the receiving end of judgment. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There was open fornication happening in the church at Corinth. And Paul, when he wrote that epistle, said, I have judged already. That dude that's unrepentant, get him out of the church. I've already judged. That's not an issue of liberty. That's an issue of open rebellion and sin. And we can judge open rebellion and sin because we have word of God that that teaches that. But we're talking about gray issues, man. Eating meat, drinking drink that would possibly cause... It's all the things that don't have clear scripture to say yes or no. It's the liberty that we have in Christ. Number one, we need to stop judging each other because the Lord's going to judge. Number two, the judgment seat of Christ should motivate us to consider our brother's walk. I mean, listen, four times in this chapter, verse 10, verse 13, verse 15, verse 21, God's word tells us you need to be worried about your brother. You need to be worried about your brother. You need to be worried about your brother. Consider your brother. Don't judge your brother. And listen, your brother is walking with Christ, and so are you. And he puts the burden of responsibility on those that are more spiritually mature, and he says, listen, you had better consider your brother's walk. He says, don't cast a stumbling block, and don't give an occasion to fall. And so two things that will cause your brother to fall, number one, is a stumbling block. I'm sure you use that word this week in your, in your language, right? The first mention of stumbling block is, is Leviticus 19, verse 14. And just read the verse. Thou shalt not curse the deaf. Well, they're not going to hear you. That, that's kind of weird, right? I mean, right? So God says don't do it because they can't hear you. He also says don't put a stumbling block before the blind. Now, that's very interesting. So if you got a blind person walking, would you go get a 4x4? And if you see him walking in a straight line, would you just put the 4x4 right in front of him and just kind of see what happens, sit back and laugh and have a good old time? That's horrible. Like you need to be punched in the throat. I mean, honestly. Repetitively. Did I say that? Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Man, you, you, need, you need, well, you just need to come see me after church. That's what you need. You know, we would say that's horrible. Man, if that was your mother, if that was your, that was your father that fell, that was your kid, they're blind, and somebody's tripping them and making them fall and making them hurt themselves, you would think that's the worst thing ever. 
What about in the church? What about in the body of Christ? Because listen, when we exercise our liberty without consideration of our brother, well, you might as well be throwing possibly some stumbling blocks right in front of them. People that are trying to walk with Christ and don't have maybe the maturity that you think you have, your liberty has now become a stumbling block. How is this person that's not mature in the Lord going to discern what I'm about to do or what I'm doing? How is this going to affect him? But we don't think like that because we think Christianity is about us. Hello? The last person that we think about is our brother in Christ. God tells us, God tells us we had better take heed, man. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. I don't know if it's on the screen. It is. But listen, Paul, Paul gives a pretty strong warning right here. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are what? To them that are weak. And so listen, as a Christian, God has commanded me to take heed that I had better take heed how my liberty is going to affect a weaker brethren. And listen, if it causes him to fall, oh man, I'm accountable. I'm accountable to God. You see, we don't ask those questions in Christianity. How is this going to affect my brother? How is a younger Christian going to discern this? How are the kids in children's ministry, when they see or hear of this, how are they going to react? You see, because some of you have kids in this back, and they're being ministered to right now, but then after church, they're going to come home with some questions that they saw, they heard, and, and you know, the pastor's kid's the best, right? Because they see and hear everything. Daddy, why this? And why that? And I don't understand this. And some of you can't appreciate that because you don't think beyond yourself with your liberty. Maybe run what you're thinking about doing, run it by one of those kids in children's ministry and ask what they think about it. You see, some of you don't even have the maturity to understand what I just said. Matthew 18, verse 6, Christ himself says, whoever offends one of these little ones which believes in me, it's better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. See, we don't think about that. we got brothers and sisters in Christ right behind that wall. Young Christians growing and yet weak in faith. And what we do matters. You can destroy your brother and sister in Christ that's right on the other side of that wall with your liberty. Man, there is no place in biblical Christianity for just you do you. you. There's no place for that in biblical Christianity. There's no place for it. And so we need to learn not to put a stumbling block in front of our brother. We need to learn not to put occasion to fall in front of our brother. That phrase, occasion to fall, literally means the trigger of a trap, Think of, think of the cheese on the mouse trap. That's an occasion to fall. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Paul says, listen, don't use your liberty to entertain your flesh. And generally that's what happens in Christianity. Selfish living will always tear down your brother's spiritual life. It never edifies it. And so we need, to, we need to take into consideration our brother's walk. That'll, that'll help us make better decisions concerning our liberty. Number three, we need to live out our liberty based on knowledge. 
verse 14. So, so here's what Paul says. And Paul's a guy who was strong in faith. He says in verse 14, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. Okay? And so Paul again differentiates. He is a strong believer. He knew some things and were persuaded of some things from the Word of God. But he also says, listen, there's a guy that says that the same thing is unclean, right? He that esteems something that's unclean. To him, it's unclean. Okay, so Paul had knowledge, and and this person that esteemed it to be unclean did not. And so here's the point. Uh, The key in your notes is this. Paul had knowledge from the Word of God. He had knowledge from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul knew some things and was persuaded, but listen, he didn't just humanistically reason why he could exercise liberty in this area. His reasoning came from Christ himself. Do you understand that? Do you see that Paul says, listen, I know I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing unclean of itself. He didn't just get there on his own. He didn't humanistically reason, hey, well, this is okay for me to do because, hey, it just is what everybody does. No, no, he actually said this came from Christ. It came from the Word of God. And that's how we are to get our understanding of our liberty. It ought to be based in the Scriptures. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there's none other God but one. Paul knew that from the Scriptures. Paul knew that from Christ. His knowledge was based on the Word of God. Therefore, his liberty was based on the Word of God. You tracking? You guys got it? Look at verse eight, or excuse me, verses 7 and 8. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. I mean, he comes right on the heels, and he says, listen, we know, we know. There's no, Baal's not real, you know, uh, all these false gods, they're not real. We know that if you eat a piece of steak out of the back of one of these idols or, or one of these uh, pagan temples, if you eat a piece of meat, listen, there's only one God. We know that. But he says in verse 7 that not every man has that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat, eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled, but meat commended us not to God, for neither if we, if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Do you see how he's discerning? Look, look, man, not everybody has that knowledge. Some people have a weak conscience. Look at verse 10. It says, For if any man see thee which hath knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. And there it is right there. That's the verse. Because, man, I got liberty. I'm going to go sit in this idol temple. I'm going to have a nice steak. I'm going to drink a glass of wine or whatever it is they're serving up. And, man, I'm going to sit right here because I know that there's nothing real about this pagan idolatry. There's only one God. But yet when your brother that's weak sees you sitting in the temple eating and drinking those things, the Bible says that he's emboldened to do that as well. But yet he's, he's weak. And your knowledge 
is causing your weak brother to perish. Now, we don't like this kind of message, I know, Be- because this, this kind of gets, this, this gets into our life outside of Sunday morning, doesn't it? Paul had knowledge from the Word of God. Not all men have that knowledge. God says if you're not careful, your knowledge can cause your weaker brother to perish. So who the, who's the burden of maturity on? The mature believer. That's who it's on. And so listen, knowledge has to be added to virtue. Many of you know this. We talked about this in, in, in COD class this morning. Knowledge has to be added to virtue. Peter says in 2 Peter 1 verse 5, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. There's a continuum of spiritual growth to gain knowledge spiritually. Some people don't have knowledge because they aren't living in virtue. They're not doing what they know to do And therefore, God will not reveal more knowledge to them because they're not obedient to what they've been given. Because knowledge comes after virtue, not before. We don't get saved and get a bunch of knowledge. We get saved and start walking with Christ. And then God can trust us with knowledge. And and so so here's the key question. Paul had knowledge, but he also knew that that knowledge had to be tempered correctly. So the the question for us is, listen, is my liberty based on my faith Or is it based on the desires of my flesh? Do I exercise my liberty based on faith? In other words, do you got Bible to do what you do? And if you don't, should you be doing it? Well, that's what I want to do. Well, did God tell you to do that? Or did God tell you not to do that? You know, the the, the end of this chapter next week, by the grace of God, if we get there, Verse 23 says this, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever not, is not of faith is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Hebrew, excuse me, Romans 10 and verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In other words, is my liberty based on my understanding from God's word that I can live out these gray areas in my life because of what I know and what I'm persuaded by? Or is it, is it just because I want to fulfill the lust of my flesh? Because whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And for the mature believer that thinks he's exercising liberty, if he doesn't have a biblical basis, I would dare say that if it's not a faith, it's sin. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Man, I can't wait till Mother's Day next year. Man. All right, so, so look, we need to know some things from the Word of God. Our knowledge for liberty should come from the Scriptures themselves. It should come from Christ. And let's get to the last point because this is, this is the application of all of this that we've said this morning, okay? Lastly, verse, verses 15 to 17, we need to learn to live out our liberty based on charity, okay? Okay. Uh, We need to live out our liberty because we know the judgment seat of Christ is coming. We have to live out our liberty in consideration of our brother. Our liberty has to be based on the word of God. And lastly, we have to live out our liberty based on charity, and charity is love, right? Verse 15, but if thy brother, there it is again, be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. 
Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink and righteousness, excuse me, not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So, so Paul gives the application and he says, listen, if you're grieving your brother because of your knowledge and your exercise of liberty, you are not walking charitably. Charitably is an adverb. It's how you walk. It's how we are to walk in Christ and toward our brethren. We're to walk charitably toward each other. In other words, we're to walk in love to each other. And as it relates to liberty, I'm going to exercise my liberty not based on legalism, but based on love toward you. And you're called to exercise your liberty and walk in your liberty in love toward me. That's what you're called to do. And so here it is. Get the key in your notes. Look, charity is going to place the highest value on your brother. You see, when you walk charitably, you don't despise your brother. Remember, we said despising your brother counts him as, as low value, right? I'm looking at you and, man, you just, God bless you. Maybe in 10 years you'll get there where you actually understand your Bible and understand some things. God bless you, you poor soul, you know. You, you despise that guy. You count him as not, you know. Well, well, actually, when you walk charitably, you don't, you don't lower the value of your brother. You actually elevate the value of your brother. In other words, charity will make you put the highest value on your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, your opinion of what somebody else's value is is irrelevant. What really matters is what Christ's value of that person is. And God tells us in this, in this passage that that brother who is being grieved and is weak in the faith, the Bible says, Christ died for him. And so let me tell you the value that Christ himself places on every believer in Christ. He places the highest value on them because it's his shed blood that was shed for them. You see, the value is not determined by what you think or what they know or what they don't know. It doesn't matter what you think. The value is set at Christ because he's the one that bled out and died for them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold and Bitcoin or whatever else, okay, from your vain conversations received by the tradition of your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, the price of redemption is the precious blood of Christ, and that value is greater than gold, and it's greater than silver, and when there's a brother in Christ in this room that has been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, that value is high. It's high. It's the highest. Because there's nothing more precious in this universe than the blood of Christ. And so when I look at my brother who is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you're of great value. You're of great value. You're of great value. You're of high value. You're of high value. When I walk charitably, I put the highest value on my brother. Next, charity will keep me from sinning against my brother. You see, when I walk charitably, when I have charity in my walk, it will keep me from sinning against my brother. And, and we've got to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 
for this, verses 11 through 12. It says in, in, in verse 11, it says, And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. There it is again. Do, do you see Paul putting the value of weaker brethren at the highest value? Because Christ bled out and died for them. And he says, listen, man, is your knowledge going to cause your weaker brother to perish? Oh, by the way, Christ died for them too. And he says in verse 12, when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Oh, man. I was feeling really good until we got to this verse. Because God says, listen, your knowledge and your exercise of liberty and that knowledge might cause your brother to perish. Doesn't mean they lose their salvation, but it means you may destroy their walk with God. You have a responsibility. And it also means that you can sin against your brother in Christ by exercising your liberty through your knowledge for whom Christ died. And so when you sin against your brother, ultimately, you sin against Christ. In other words, listen, because we have much knowledge, it doesn't necessarily mean it's helping other Christians. It actually may be hurting other Christians. Some of us have probably wounded brethren because of our exercise of liberty. And ultimately what we've done is we have sinned against our brother in exercising our liberty, and ultimately we have sinned against Christ. And the result of that was not the edification of the body of Christ, it was the worsening of the body of Christ. Friends, that's sin. I don't know, it's not popular to talk about sin in the 21st century. I really don't care what's popular. If God says that we're walking in a way that's not bringing our brothers and sisters to maturity and to faith and to a closer walk with God and we're causing them to stumble and to fall and we're causing them to perish and we're wounding them, that's sin. It's sin. And it's a sin against them, and it's a sin against Christ. And if I read my Bible right, when we're in sin, the answer is always repent. It's repent. It's turn. It's ask for forgiveness and turn from whatever the sin is. And so here's the conclusion. I know you got a few more blanks. Let's get them quick. Charity, charity, walking charitably will create a willingness to abstain, listen, for my brother's sake. Now, some of you need to hang on. You say, Jay, that sounds like legalism. Actually, it ain't legalism. Did I just say ain't? It's not legalism. <laughs> that ain't legalism. You know, verse 17 says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Ghost. And we're going to talk more about that next week because we're going to talk about exercising our liberty for the mission because we're part of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about those spiritual things next week. The point is the kingdom of God is not the physical things in this life. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is spiritual. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 
and verse 13. Wherefore, here's the conclusion. If meat make my brother to offend, he can just deal with it and grow up. Is that what it says? He says, if, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Well, that sounds a whole lot like abstinence, doesn't it? I'm going to choose to abstain from eating meat. Oh, 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 the reason I'm doing it is not to meet some legalistic standard. The reason I'm doing it is because I love my brother. And I have enough knowledge to know that this ain't a big deal, but guess what? He doesn't. And until he matures, man, I'm going to live in such a way that I don't cause his walk to fall. Romans 14 and verse 21 says, it is, neither, it is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. And so, and so as we close, listen. Liberty is not legalism, and legalism is not liberty, and you can't, you can't, you can't marry the two, but, but it is interesting, it is very interesting to me that the burden of responsibility is on the mature Christian in this passage. So here's the key question that should help govern our liberty. Number one, whatever I'm about to do or eat, if there's not scriptural violation for it, if it's a gray area, number one, will this make my brother stumble? And by the way, if you don't know the answer to that, ask your brother. How about that? Go ask some of those kids in children's church. And if the look on their face gets crooked, then you probably don't need to do it. Will this make my brother stumble? Number two, will this offend my brother? I don't really care what my brother thinks. That's the problem. You don't. You don't. But God says you need to because you're connected to your brother. He is part of the body of Christ. Christ bled out and died for your brother just like he did for you. And his value is just as high as yours, even if he's not mature in the faith. Number three, will this make my brother weak? Is this going to strengthen my brother or is this going to weaken my brother? Well, that ought to govern, that ought to give instruction on how to live out your liberty, right? That ought to give us some instruction. And so, man, listen, you know, last week was really good because it was all hypothetical. It, it was all analytical. Man, here's legalism, here, here's liberty, I'm good. But now today, it's like, oh, this actually applies to my life as soon as I walk out this door. Some of us probably need to understand the judgment seat of, of Christ is a reality, and that, that needs to become more of a reality this morning for us. We're going to stand and give an account to Christ. If you're born again, you're saved. That's where we're headed. And God wants you to succeed at the judgment seat of Christ, not fail miserably. God wants you to succeed. By the way, your pastor wants you to succeed too. He does. He doesn't want you to experience grief and unprofitability at the judgment seat of Christ. So we need to understand that's coming. Secondly, we need to understand we have a responsibility to our brothers in Christ if you're in this church, you have brothers in Christ right across the aisle. In the, in the back area, our saved young children are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to live in consideration to them. And for some of us, we probably need to repent. Because up until today, we haven't lived in consideration to them. We just lived our life, man. 
Number three, let me challenge you that some of you need to live out your liberty based on God's word and not what your fleshly desires want. Do you have Bible? Can you back up the way you're living with Scripture? Well, it's just a Christian thing to do. Well, that's really dangerous. That's really, really dangerous. And then lastly, are you living charitably towards your brother? More times than not, in my life, when this issue comes up in my life, and I get mature enough to think that I can do some things and eat some things and drink some things, the issue always comes, what about the guy that's following? What about the guy I'm discipling? What about my children that live in the same home with me? Is this going to bring them closer to Christ? Or will this cause them to stumble and fall, right? We need to learn to walk in charity. Let's pray.